Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, and welcome to episode number 100 of the Milestone Pursuit podcast. The two years of podcasting since the beginning of the first lockdown, and here we are, two years later, with our 100th episode. It might not actually be our 100th day, because I think some of the numbering went a bit wrong in the middle somewhere, but we'll call it episode number 100. And I won't spend ages going on about the journey that the podcast has been on, from its beginnings as a little workout for people, a little bit of mindfulness, getting picked up by The Guardian, and to its evolution of today, where we do three things. We have conversations with the elites as part of our scheme to invest in underfunded British marathon runners. We have workouts, and we have recovery rambles, where I run easy around the forest and chat about something that's on my mind. And today, it is Friday the 15th of April, it's Good Friday, and for our 100th edition, we're doing a recovery ramble, but it's not going to be a worthy chat about labels or anything controversial. Today, it's going to be even more self-indulgent than that. It's going to be about running, and it's going to be about my top 10 races of all time that I've done. The best ones. But I'm going to come back to that because before we get into that, there's a couple of things. Firstly, congratulations to Ewan and Emily, coach Ewan and his wife Emily, produced the child. Nine months of growing it many hours, I was going to say several, many hours of delivery and out pops Ada. Congratulations you and Emily, good work. May your marathons never feel quite the same again you and having been through that ordeal. Same, same is true for Emily of course. And the other thing I wanted to talk about before I got into the ramble was a little bit about the evolution of the podcast. Now, it is niche and it is rustic, it's an acquired taste, but it is getting better I think, or certainly has got better than when it started. If you go back and listen to some of the early episodes, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing, still don't really, but it's a bit better, just jogging through some, some old leaves going off the trails today into the middle of the forest it's good Friday trying to get away from people a little bit I talked a lot about it being about substance over style early on to justify some of the rusticness but it's also one of the values the things I think is important you don't have to make everything look and sound good do you if the content's alright you can judge if the content's alright and you do you do judge but it's growing up a little bit of a podcast and today here's the exciting news we've got our first ever sponsor how cool is that what's going to come next the jingle madness so I'm delighted to announce that this episode the 100th episode, what a fitting time as we mature, is brought to you in association with the Chimney Fire Coffee people. Now, Chimney Fire Coffee. It's funny actually because it actually came indirectly from Tish Jones, so she is a massive coffee connoisseur, which is just as well, because I'm not. 
I don't even like coffee, but we'll come back to that. And she's had a little bit of an association with chimney fire coffee for a while. And once they'd seen that we'd done a podcast with Tish, they got in touch and asked, asked me about all the analytics about who's listening and all that sort of stuff. So the, the, uh, the fun thing there was being from a media background, I thought, ah, oh, 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 here we go. I'm going to try and convince them that I've got a reach of an extensive reach of highly affluent people who are over-indexed versus the national average for coffee drinkers. That last bit might actually be true. I reckon runners probably do over-index as coffee drinkers. If you exclude me from the, from the uh, data set. But I couldn't really negotiate too hard. Couldn't look myself in the mirror. Had to be honest. So it's niche and rustic, it's mostly people that I know, but people will like coffee, that's for sure. And even though I don't like coffee myself, my wife is a big coffee fan. So the very kind people at Jimmy Fire Coffee sent us some coffee. And she drank it this morning, said it was lovely. So that's good, handy. So, I guess, this makes me an influencer now. So what have I got to do now? I think I've got to take a photo of myself jumping, doing that heel clicky thing, preferably with some bright coloured socks that don't match my shoes, I think. What else? What else do I need to do as as an important running influencer? I know. How about a, an Instagram story of me eating my breakfast? Do you really need to see my bowl of Weetabix with raisins that I have every single day? No, I don't think so. Oh no, well, how about this one? How about I get some merch, and including caps, and I put my name underneath the peak of the cap and that cap, probably the peak is a bit too big as well. One of those sort of trucker style peaky caps, hobs emblazoned across it. Shall I do that? Now, to be fair, the chimney fire coffee people, they're good people. They have a sense of humour and they have a good brand as well. So the things that I think are important to know about the Chimney Fire Coffee is that it's properly sustainable, single source of origin, so they get the beans from the same place. They trace them from the farm to the cup, so they know exactly where they are on the supply chain. They work with individual farms, and that gives them proper insight into the bean production process brings us back around to you and an enemy again. And one of the things that they do is that they are generous towards their producers, pay over the odds for high quality coffee. And the expectation is that the producers reinvest back into the product, which then naturally improves the quality over time. Which is a bit like a bit like how we invest in underfunded British League marathon runners. If we can help them compete and inspire others, it improves the quality. Not just their own quality, but those of everyone around them. So there you go. Listening to this podcast means you can invest in the future of British elite marathon running and in coffee quality standards. And if you go to Chimney Fire Coffee, and input the code MPPOD20, you'll get 20% discount on your first purchase. There we go. And I'm now an influencer. It might help me get more coffee for my wife if you can go and buy some coffee from the Chimney Fire 
filthy people. Anyway, let's talk a little bit about marathon running now, shall we? Still got time to get into the ramble. Of course, it could be a long one today. I'll be quick about marathon running. As we're post Manchester, the last episode was pre Manchester. And aside from the fantastic performances from the people that we coach, and there's 11 people running marathons that weekend in our team, and seven of them ran negative splits. Very impressive running. Really happy with that. But at the elite end, it was also, well, the Manchester Marathon was the qualifying race for the European Championships. So all eyes were on that. I'm not going to talk about that race actually, I'm just going to talk about the people that have qualified, the people that have been selected. And it's a big old team, 10 athletes representing Great Britain at the European Championships in Munich. And they are Mo Arden, who qualified following his Seville performance, Luke Caldwell, who ran in Houston, Ben Connor, who qualified from the Kew Gardens Olympic trial race way back a year ago, Andrew Hayes, who qualified from Manchester, as did Ross Millington on his debut marathon, and Phil Sessman, who ran a fast time in London. And they're all under 2.14.30. For the women, the qualifying time was 2.32. And Becky Briggs, who ran 2.29 in Manchester. Rosie Edwards, who also ran at Kew, like Ben, 2.31. Naomi Mitchell, again Manchester, 2.30. And Alice Wright, 2.29 in Houston. So, big team. And there's team prizes in that event, three to score, which I think is a great idea. Encourages countries to send full teams, makes it a more competitive race, gives everybody down the field something to race for. So that'd be fun. But the winner of the Manchester race was Johnny Meller, in the men's race anyway, and he ran 2.10.46 which does qualify him for the European Championships. But I think he wants to run for England in the Commonwealth Games instead. So watch this space on that one. So on we go around the trails. And now we're moving into the main event of today, the 100th episode. A self-indulgent celebration of my 10 top races. And this is brought to you by Jimmy Fire Coffee. Oh, here comes some horses. Steady on. Back on the main path now. Horses, bike riders, walkers. Good Friday feel. Beautiful sunshine. We'll get off the trails, onto the trails again in a little while. So it was actually going to be my top 10 races, but I was going through the list. And I realised I didn't have 10 top 10 races, as in brilliant ones that I loved, that all went really well. So I've had to throw in some rubbish ones as well. And I'm going to change the category slightly, and it's now going to be the top 10 most memorable races. The ones that stick in the mind, or things about them stick in the mind. And we're going to count down in order, in really dramatic, top of the pops fashion without the extravagant music or Jimmy Savile. So, just outside the top ten, there's a few worthy of a quick mention. There's three of them. They're missing from the top ten. The first one of those is Florence, the Florence Marathon 2017, where it rained non-stop and you had to finish on the cobbles in the old town. Calves were seizing up. And a guy hooked onto me very early on in the race and then allowed me to draft for him and he dumped me at about the 22 mile mark and didn't even wait at the finish to say thank you. 
Brilliant. Also missing from the list was the World Masters Half Marathon Championships from 2015, which is a great event, really inclusive, all age groups. And it's the first time I broke 75 minutes for the, for the half marathon, doing so wearing a self-purchased GB vest. That was fun. Good fun event in Lyon in France, that was. Made for a nice holiday for everyone as well. So that was good. And the other one that's missing on the list is the 2019 Victoria Park Harriers 20 Mile Club Championships. Eight laps of the figure of eight course around Victoria Park. Some of the sections on the figure of eight you do twice, obviously. So 16 times past the tennis courts. Holding a rhythm and a pace that get myself ready for the 2019 Manchester Marathon. Around 153.30 and felt, felt pretty good all the way round. That was fun, in a sort of weird way. But now, let's get into our list, our top 10 list. And we're gonna start in the Windy City, number 10, Chicago, 2015. It's a good marathon, Chicago, but one of the things to watch out for is the GPS at the beginning is really crap, because you run through all the high-rise buildings really early on so you lose signal on your watch and I was cruising along got to the 5k marker and I was off my target too slow so I then picked it up in the next 5k and ran way too quick and so the race unraveled a bit from there still did alright brought it home in 2.36.31 finished up, had a few beers, and later on discovered I'd come fourth in the V40s category. Oh, that's pretty cool. With exactly the same time as the guy that came third. Oh, if only I dipped, I thought. And then imagine my surprise, stroke disappointment, when, I don't know, a week or so later, I got a letter from the Chicago Marathon people with my prize money. I'd won, I think, it was definitely four figures, I think it was $1,500 for coming fourth. Oh. Blimey, what do you get for coming third? Oh no, if only I dipped at the line. What would I have got? So that's been the source of much merriment one to my club mates over the years. So that was Chicago, number 10. And number nine on the list of my top 10 most memorable races, brought to you by the Chimney Fire Coffee, is Boston. And this followed reasonably quickly on Chicago. And once I'd worked out that Masters running in the US was both lucrative and not that competitive, for me to have come fourth in 236.31, in the big city marathon. What could I do at Boston? So I got myself into some shape. This is 2017 now, 18 months later. Got myself into what I thought was a reasonable shape. Get to Boston, it's all on my own this time. And that's my first mistake. That was on my own. Also, I forgot to say, on each one of these, the learning, I'll talk about the learning, haven't I? So the learning in Chicago was never give it up, because you never quite know what's going on in the race for time, and what's going on around you. You never quite know, and there's another part to that story that will come later. So never give it up. Now, Boston, since they've had the bomb, you know, you put your kit bag at the finish line and then they put you on a bus that takes you out to Hopkinton and the start 42 kilometres outside of Boston but they do that really early so you go out at 6 it takes an hour to get there and then you're stuck with nothing nothing to do until the start which is well after 
well, after nine o'clock, I think it was 9.15 or something. And a couple of things collided to make that a difficult day for me. So, first of all, I was on my own for three or four days beforehand. And I elected to just kind of tuck myself away to concentrate on the race. Not to get carried away in the razzmatazz that comes with Boston pre the race. But I got bored, got really restless. And then the other thing that collided with that was the weather. You probably won't remember, but there was a year where Boston was really hot, followed by a year that was really cold. And this year it was 23 degrees on the start line at nine o'clock in the morning. And so my bored, tired, competitive, not quite functioning properly brain didn't kick in and I made fatal errors or near fatal errors anyway of allowing myself to believe I could still run a competitive time didn't adjust my ambitions according to the temperature and worse than that I got off to a flying start down the first 5k hill that you get in Boston which is very tempting to do but I got very carried away and I remember in the first couple of minutes thinking oh, I'm sweating a bit too much already this isn't good and by 10 miles my legs were shot because after the downhill which obviously hurts the thing that Boston tricks people with is they took a Heartbreak Hill and the Newton Hills and a few others along the way but it's the constant undulations that catch you out so by the time you get to Heartbreak Hill which itself is not a particularly big hill but being where it is at 20 miles it can be a bit of a monster by then by the time you've got there you've already smashed your quads with the ups and the downs so I've got to 10 miles where my race is run there's no way I'm running that time but I'm going to keep going till 18 miles and then I'm going to afford myself a proper stop and hydration break and once I've stopped to walk 18 miles which is the only time I've ever done that took on some fluid I then put in place a run walk strategy pretty much to the finish allowing myself to hydrate properly and finished pretty strong actually so that's probably another factor dehydration thrown in 2.48 nothing to be ashamed of but not what I wanted right let's move on to number 8 on the on the chimney fire coffee all-time top 10 Steve Hobbs marathons or races number eight is Manchester 2019 where I ran my PB two hours 30 minutes and 41 seconds actually before I say that about Boston my splits in Boston were 77 minutes for the first half and 90 for the second that is a that's a blow up but Manchester I'll properly hit the wall but not until the end so I was chasing a PB was in good shape but from the very beginning of that race I never felt great and I repeated my Boston mistake going off a bit too quick so I went through halfway at about 74 and held that pace pretty much until 23 miles where it started to sag a little and then the last mile where what I thought was happening was I was cramping up and my just a bit of muscle soreness in my hips and my quads I just need to push on to the end and get through it which I did but in hindsight it was my body shutting down because as soon as I got to the finish I stumbled across the finishing line I was helped by some medical folk who asked me how I was doing I said I just want to go to sleep out came the wheelchair two hours of medical tent invasion <laughs> including a thermometer where the sun don't shine but then said I had a temperature of 40 degrees two hours of ice bath to cool me down and I was released back into the wild 
to meet my family by then were pretty worried. So in that one, I learned what bonking really is. Not when you just feel a little bit tired. It's when your body doesn't function properly anymore. Okay, let's move on. 230, 41, that was it, the PB. Number eight on the list. Number seven. Man versus horse. Trail marathon. 23 miles in Wales. Lantard Wells. Absolutely love this race. Here's my friend Neil Cook's 40th birthday. And a group of us went down there to run it. Being slightly bigger than most, I find it hard up the hills. And towards the end of the race, there's a massive hill. Like a mountain. And I had to stop and walk up it. And as I did, my good friend Neil, his birthday it was, was catching me, came past me. No, not a hint of, how you doing, you alright? Come on, keep going. None of that. A little gentle bum tap, a chuckle, and off he went. And I have to admit, I chuckled as well. But since that day, and it was, when was that? Oh, I can't even think when that was. Whenever it was, several years ago, Neil has never beaten me in, an, in another race of any distance. That bum tap has come back to haunt him. It also was deadly wet the whole way around. And the other thing I remember really distinctly about that race was enjoying mountains of egg sandwiches immediately afterwards. Absolutely starving. Right, let's move on. Number six. More hills. The New York Marathon, 2007. This is what kick-started it all, really. I've been to New York in 2006 on a weekend away with my girlfriend, now wife. And it happened to coincide with the marathon. So we went and had a little look. And it looked incredible. So much fun. Super inspiring. So I thought, I think I want to do this again next year. So I got a charity place and jetted over in 2007 to do it. Was cautious. Had a great run, running a negative split with 96 minutes and 92 minutes to come home in three hours and eight minutes. Oh, a couple of buzzards having a bit of a set two above me as I jog past Copped Hall. And that really gave me a lot of belief that running could be could be my thing as I was ending the or beginning the end of my team sport career. I was something like thirteen thousandth in that race. Sorry, thirteen hundredth in that race. And when you compare the thirteen hundredth position from New York to London, knowing that New York's tougher because of the hills, I think it would have got me something like a time of 3.01 at the time. Thought, okay, sub three's on then, isn't it? So that became the next focus. So New York, it made me realise I had some capability. Man versus horse, by the way, the learning there was about adventure and fun and what running can do in a way that some other sports just can't. So moving on to number five on the Chimney Fire Coffee all-time top ten list of my favourite, most memorable races is the Beachy Head Marathon. This was 2017, about five weeks before, maybe even four weeks before the Florence Marathon. And this was memorable because I turned an ankle after about five miles and it's pretty sore it was scream out loud sort of sore so I slowed my pace right down allowed lots of people to come past me basically trod carefully for a little while working out what I wanted to do and then the pain started to ease so I thought okay we'll crack on climbing the hills enjoying the downs enjoying the views and I suddenly start to feel good and I pick the pace up along a really nice stretch that's fairly flat on the top of the hill. Start 
passing people and I can't remember how actually whether I'd known or whether someone spectating had told me my, my position but I got myself up to fifth and then to fourth and then to third and I remember coming around a bend into a field and at the end of the other end of the field was the person in second I thought oh no I'm going to have to catch him now because once you're in that situation you kind of want to coast a bit but then when the competitiveness comes out you go oh, I've really got to do it so I took him on just before seven sisters and ran the seven sisters pretty well finished in second quite a long way behind the guy in first in just over three hours and then quite a lot of ankle pain but that was glorious the competitiveness the drive to push myself on the course was spectacular a real highlight I think I want a pair of running shoes Okay, I'm number four on the Chimney Fire Coffee list of all-time top most memorable races. It's the London Marathon in 2001, a lifetime ago. My first marathon, running in a long sleeve t-shirt, which I've still got, and a pair of football shorts. No watch no real targets just get round, get it done been a long ambition of mine to run it the opportunity presented itself in 2001 I ran nice and steady all the way round 3.37 and absolutely loved it 5,700 something what such a buzz lasted for days I remember the day after getting the train into London going over the bridge into Charing Cross seeing all the railings that are still up from the day before and thinking oh that was so magical running along the embankment to the finish of the London Marathon And that race was so magical that I allowed them to take a photograph of me at the end in my all black outfit with a long sleeve top, one hand in the air and the other hand, my right hand in the air it was, my other hand moving the medal, the Flora London Marathon medal away from my number so that they could recognise me and send me my photo only to discover that it makes me look like it's a not, I'm giving a Nazi salute memorable <laughs> right down to the top three this is exciting stuff isn't it I think you might need some chimney fire coffee just to fire you up a little bit for this last three it's been such an enthralling episode right we're going to fast forward 20 years from 2001 to the 2021 London Marathon And this one is all about recognising and really pinpointing the fact that the London Marathon is my favourite day, pretty much bar none, in the annual calendar. Obviously getting married and having children were better days. But there's something brilliant about London Marathon Day and in 2021 especially so because we haven't run it since 2018 2019 sorry 2019 two and a half years prior the coming together of all of us runners seeing lots of people haven't seen for ages being cheered around the course running with friends as well pretty much the whole way finishing with friends and running well so I thought my best days had gone through the pandemic but I ended up running 75, 76 for 2.31 
of 0 02. And from 20 years previous, where I finished 5,700th, I finished 101st. Taken 20 years to t- overtake 5,600 people. <laughs> and that's also you know, another example of pushing to the end, never knowing where you are. An extra couple of seconds would have got me inside the top 100. But still, great day, great day. Right. Number two, what can it be? We're going to hop foot it over to Amsterdam in 2018. This is my best marathon, I think. I was trying to break through 235. I've been stuck around 235.36 for a little while. And I was kind of wanting to get down to under 235 to see whether getting close to 230 was ever going to be possible. So, I didn't really have a clear time objective just to get under 235. Had a good pacing plan, felt pretty good, and absolutely nailed it. Around 76 halfway, and 74, so 75 40. Is that right? Yeah, for 2.31 and 40 seconds. Middle section in particular really picked up. Really worked it. Brilliant finish as well in the stadium, in the Amsterdam Olympic Stadium from the 20s. Great place to finish. And then what added to the memorability of that was not only did I run well, all of my friends did too. And people that I coached to the finish line it was just like bang, 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 one after the other, coming in in really good performances. Brilliant day. And really that was about the breakthrough from 235-ish to close to 230. Big jump. And the lesson there was about my capability, but also about my drive to push and a happy time all round. So, there we go. We're down to, we've done the top 10. I won't do a long and boring recap just to fill the time. We're now coming to number one on the Chimney Fire Coffee, top 10 most memorable races of my life. If you know me well, you're going to know what this is and you may even have heard me guff off about it on the podcast before but it's the Comrades Marathon best part of 90 kilometres from Durban to Peter Maritzburg on the up run 2019 not long after my number 8 performance at Manchester so I was in pretty good shape but I had a bit of a scare so I went into that race making sure, or with the mindset to make sure that I didn't fuck it up. I didn't want to go too hard, too early. 90 kilometers, 55 miles, two and a bit marathons. I've never run an ultra race. I've done obviously long runs in training, which I'll talk about in a bit. But there's a massive stride into the unknown, the whole thing. It's a caution was the watchword. I guess it's worth talking a little bit about why, actually, why I did Comrades in the first place, having not done ultras. And it was really about adventure and about challenge. So I'm not the most adventurous of people, but I do like a challenge. And running is one of my go-to safety places. In times of trouble, times of stress, I go to a run. And part of this was about using running as a security blanket in which to have an adventure. And it happened to be the same time as a number of my friends were doing it as well, so we went over together. I doubt I'd have done it on my own, especially after my Boston experience. 
and having others around me helped helped enormously. So I went into it thinking I really just want to have the best possible experience. Big time investment going into it. High cost as well. Go and make sure you can enjoy it. And that experience is about actually making sure you don't metaphorically or literally die on the way around. Which, joking aside, was a bit of a concern for my family after the Manchester experience just about three months earlier. So I planned it very carefully and planned to run to heart rate. Planned to ignore the watch from the time perspective. There's no clocks on the course. So just dial in to my heart rate with maximums on the flat and up the inclines of which there are many. And that meant really putting the pace back early on up the hills. It climbs out of Durban pretty aggressively for the first 20 odd K. And I was there in comrades with my friends Neil again, Simeon, Duncan and Paul Gamester. And Paul and I have a very similar age and similar capability. And so we've always had a friendly, bantery competitiveness between us, but in reality we push each other on and they're very supportive of one another. And he's a top man. And we ran most of it together. And we got to halfway, he was paying attention to time on his watch, whereas I wasn't. And we got to about halfway, no clocks, in about three hours twenty-five. And halfway of course is slightly more than a marathon. Three hours twenty-five at halfway. Okay, that's cool. Feeling all right. Another marathon or so to go, and we started to pass people. And as we're doing so, we're running together in the same club vests with our names on our bibs. But also on your bib, at comrades, they put a note of how many comrades you've done. And neither of us has done a comrade so it's a big fat zero on your bib alongside your number so all the locals they know this and they support it like Londoners support the London Marathon pretty much throughout obviously there's bits in between towns and villages where it gets quiet but pretty much we're running past a film set in the middle of the forest I'm probably not supposed to be here it's like some kind of old medieval village they've recreated right here okay, so our bibs have got this zero on and the spectators are savvy and they know this and they're seeing us come along and they're going go Paul go Steve novices wow they were impressed uh, that was a good sign that's a sign that we looked like we were running well and we were in good shape up the field a lot from that even if the smell of fry and the opening of beer that they were all indulging in was a little distracting but on we went and at about 30k to go Paul was like oh, I'm getting tired now you crack on if you want I'm like no let's stick together let's do this and then at 15k to go I kind of finally got the message that Paul wanted some alone time So he dropped off the back and on I went. And now with 15k to go, I had to adapt a little bit thinking, well, I don't really know how fast I'm running. It's only 15k, but Paul's been a really significant part of this. Can I do this without him? Buckle up, yes you can, let's do this. Let's get through this last 15k. And what helped, I think, was the infamous Polly Shorts, which was at well, about 10k to go. It's a 2k incline, pretty steep, when you've already done you know, the best part of two marathons. And I was really resolved to run it, not to walk. So I was looking forward to getting there and doing it, and that kind of gave me a bit of impetus. So I got myself up Polly Shorts, 
up the hill, no walking, got to the top, 10k to go, had a little moment of half celebration and then cracked on to the finish. My quads were screaming at me as I'm running downhill into Peter Maritzburg to go past the 5k to go, 4, 3, 2, 1 to go. They do their signs in kilometres to go, which is actually quite helpful. And after one kilometre to go, you turn a corner into the finishing area, which is the Peter Maritzburg race course. And that's the first clock. I had no idea what the time was. Came around the corner, saw the clock. Six hours and 36 minutes. I was blown away. Thought, right, if I'm good here, I can get this in under six hours 40. Anyway, anything under seven, seven and a half is a great result. Being close to 6.30 is slightly mind-blowing for someone like me when the elite's running in sort of 5.50. Something like that. And then, victory parade down the straight. Lots of spectators. Me on my own. Finishing 6.38.44, I think it was. It was all important, 44 seconds. Feeling incredible. Obviously exhausted. But feeling so accomplished. There's so many things that came through that race that were kind of signals of that accomplishment. Here's the boring old stats. I ran the last 26 miles of the last marathon in three hours and six minutes. I was faster than I'd run the New York Marathon in, if you remember. Having already run one significantly uphill marathon on the same day. I ran a 13 minute negative split didn't blow up. I was 89th in the race, top 100. And I went through the first checkpoint in 1116th. So I'd overtaken over a thousand people in the course of the race. Pretty pleased with that. And my split time from the top of Poly Shorts to the finish line was the 13th fastest in the whole race. That's pretty cool. And it was 87 kilometers, and I'd run the whole thing, apart from one, one little wee stop. And that even now is something I have to scratch my head in disbelief about. Six and a half hours of running, non-stop apart from one we stop of around 55 miles and then I get home still feeling on top of the world and my mum sends me a card telling me how proud that she was of what I'd done and that's very unlike my parents take a keen interest and always have done in my sport but always from a distance so it ranks number one on the chimney fire coffee top 10 most memorable races of my life and who knows what's to come maybe some more new entries into the into the top 10 I'll let you know you'll be fascinated by that I'm sure and the one thing that really kind of strikes me as I put this list together was I may not reach some of those performance heights again you never know but I may or may not I'm good with that you know, 231 for the marathon my comrades experience sorry 230 for the marathon my comrades experience things that I'm proud of and I'd happily retire on but the thing that strikes me most and the thing that I can repeat and will repeat 
is the camaraderie, the friendship, the comradeship. That'll be a better word. So I've had throughout most of those experiences. The best experiences were the ones that I shared. If you go back, Boston was a lonely experience. Even the ice bath in Manchester, I was on my own. The best ones have been done with other people, comrades, Amsterdam in particular. So running is a solo thing. Runners can be fiercely independent, but there's way more to it than that. And perhaps that's what's the really big thing behind it all. We're united by running. Right, that feels like a good place for me to sign off. I hope you enjoyed that. I did, it was really nice. It's a lovely day, lovely run through the forest. I'm sorry it's self-indulgent. And perhaps if you didn't enjoy it, it's helped you or your kids get to sleep. Thank you to the Chimney Fire Coffee people for fueling it. And... I will look forward to speaking to you again very soon. Take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 